0: This is Global Conversations, a student-run publication at the Monk School of Global Affairs, and I'm here today with Francesca Albanese and Dr. Lex Tackenberg. They are the authors of the recently published second edition of the book, Palestinian Refugees and International Law. Francesca Albanese is an international lawyer, researcher, and author of various publications and opinions on the question of Palestinian refugees. Lex Tackenberg has worked with UNRWA, the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees, from 1989 until late 2019, and is currently a freelance lecturer and consultant. Lex and Francesca, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the Global Conversations podcast. You're welcome. For our listeners uh, who might be unaware, could you talk about who are Palestinian refugees and what were the historical circumstances which produced the Palestinian refugee crisis?
1: Sure. Uh, At large, Palestinian refugees are those who were displaced from their historical homeland, uh, namely the land known as Palestine, until the end of the British Mandate in Palestine in May 1948. As part of the process that led political Zionism to the creation of a Jewish state in Palestine, namely the modern modern day Israel. Uh, these are still refugees because they were never allowed to return or enjoyed the justice that uh, the General Assembly had envisaged for them since nineteen forty eight, in line with the prevailing um, norms of international law at the time. So, Palestinian refugees today include two main groups. The first group consists of those who were displaced, and this as a consequence of the process that led uh, primarily through waves of Jewish migration through Europe, uh, and then as of 1947, with the use of force to the creation of the State of Israel in 1948, uh, over uh, most part of what until then had been known as Palestine. And this event is known as the first uh, Arab-Israeli war. So these people uh, were 750,000, so two-thirds of the Arab population of uh, historical Palestine uh, in 1948 and uh, amount to about 6.57 million today. Um, the second group includes those Palestinians were displaced and dispossessed from the conflict that, in 1967, led to the expansion of Israel's control over the land that uh, remained of historical Palestine from 1948, namely the uh, West Bank, including East Jerusalem uh, and the Gaza Strip, which is collectively known as occupied Palestinian territory. Um, And this occupation lasts till present day. The descendants, so these people were about 400,000 uh, back in 1967, and are about 1 million today. Um, the descendants of both groups are also refugees, the Yure, as any protracted refugees around the world. And, like, um, and they are scattered around the world, but primarily uh, in the Middle East and in the areas where the United Nations Relief and Work Agency for Palestine refugees operate. Namely, uh, the uh, occupied Palestinian territory, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon.
2: What is the function and purpose of UNRWA? Well, UNRWA was created upon the initiative of the Conciliation Commission for Palestine in late 1949, starting its operation on the 1st of May 1950, with a dual mandate firstly, to take over and continue the relief operation that was initiated after the start of the refugee problem by three humanitarian NGOs who announced that they would disengage at the beginning of 1950. Uh, And secondly, to implement the so-called WORKS program, the WORKS in UNRWA's name, WORKS programs recommended by another sub-body of the Conciliation Commission, the so-called economic survey mission. The economic survey mission was commissioned by the UNCCP to explore the scope for economic integration of the refugees in the countries and territories where they had initially found refuge. The survey mission recommended a program of large-scale labor-intensive public work schemes modeled on the Tennessee Valley Authority was set up after the 1929 financial crisis, first in the U.S. and then in the world. As both the host countries and the refugees were suspicious that this effort at integration would jeopardize the refugees' wishes and right to return, the works program never really took off and was eventually shelved in the mid-1950s at the time of the Suez Crisis. However, In the absence of a solution, the need for relief, what we today refer to as humanitarian assistance, continued and is gradually turned into support for the refugees' human development through education, health, relief and social services, later expanded with microfinance and camp development, and emergency humanitarian assistance at times of renewed conflict. There is a tacit agreement between host countries, the PLO, and donors that UNRWA's services are to continue until a just and comprehensive resolution of the refugee question in accordance with the applicable UN resolutions. Accordingly, UNRWA's mandate has been renewed every three years by the UN General Assembly, UNRWA's parent body. In your book, it's discussed
0: how UNRWA only refers to refugees as those who have been unable to return as a result of the 1948 conflict. However, you note that Palestinians displaced as a result of the 1967 war and subsequent hostilities are not referred to or registered as refugees by the agency, but they are eligible to receive services by UNRWA. Talk about why is it that UNRWA does not refer to or register Palestinians who were displaced by the 1967 war and subsequent hostilities as refugees? Furthermore, how is it that even though they aren't referred to or registered as refugees by the agency, they are still entitled to receive services
2: from UNRWA? Well, this slightly different approach was uh, was prompted by sort of political realities at a time. Uh, UNRWA was created to deal with the refugees from 1948, uh, and many of those were displaced for the second time during the 1967 war, mostly from the West Bank to the East Bank of the River Jordan to what is today the Kingdom of Jordan, uh, and who continue to be supported by UNRWA in their new places of refuge. Those Palestinians, displaced in 1967 for the first time, were considered by Jordan, which had annexed the West Bank in the early 1950s, as internally displaced persons. You know, people who, during the, the, the Six-Day War, fled from the West Bank to the East Bank. And for these reasons, they were not considered as refugees under UNRWA's mandate. However, as there were a significant Number of those people needing urgent uh, assistance, the UN General Assembly authorized UNRWA to exceptionally provide assistance to these persons, effectively also bringing them under the the remit of, of UNRWA. So, for this reason, they are today commonly also referred to as Palestinian refugees, as we do in our book, and as is done also by UNHCR and its authoritative note on the specific refugee regime created for Palestinian refugees.
0: The central issues of contention as it pertains to Palestinian refugees is firstly the right of return, secondly the right of Palestinians for compensation from Israel due to the destruction of Palestinians' homes and their livelihoods as a result of the Nakba, the 67 war, as well as further hostilities. And the third issue of contention is the assimilation and resettlement of refugees in different countries. Most significantly on the first two points, there is serious doubt as to whether right of return and compensation, both issues which are notably embodied within UN General Assembly Resolution 194, is politically feasible and there is doubt as to whether there are legitimate frameworks within international law that firmly allows stateless Palestinians to successfully advocate for the right of return and compensation. Uh, Your response?
1: From the way the question is posed, um, it seems to me that contentious issues are those that are unsuitable. To Israel and its uh, supporters, namely uh, the rights uh, of the Palestinians, the right to return, the right to be compensated, and to an extent would might bother Arab countries and others that Palestinian refugees may also have a right to be locally integrated and resettled on top of having the right to, to return, depending on on their choice, um, but th- in my view, this way of thinking and also formulating question actually leads to offering responses within the narrow space of what is considered and you say said so politically feasible, namely not contentious to Israel first and foremost, rather than. Uh, legally and morally compelling. Uh, from a purely legal perspective, I see nothing contentious about the three issues that you've mentioned, so the right of return and the right, uh, the, 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 the right to be compensated and the, the right to, to, to be resettled, as they are uh, all deeply and firmly rooted in international law. Uh, as well as the right of return. There is uh, no uh, doubt about the international framework that exists to support all these claims and we make it abundantly clear in the book. Uh, The contentious issues in my view, uh, as first and foremost, um, the discriminatory aspiration of Israel to impose and maintain a demographic dominance mostly in land that was ethnically glanced starting in 1947, 1949 and in the following years and to continue to claim a right to maintain that dominance over increasing portions of Palestinian land. Uh, worth recalling, the territorial ambitions of Israel over lands later to constitute the state of Palestine are not over, uh, it appears from, and this appears from, from openly unveiled annexation plans uh, uh, put forward by Israel with the US explicit support. And most of such conduct in its um, expressions have a precise connotation under international law and criminal law in particular. And most of the Western world is trying to block justice to do uh, its course in the case of Palestine in all possible ways. And this is my view, in my view, a contentious issue that should be explored
0: further. In the book, you discuss early UN attempts at resolving the Palestinian refugee question, as well as the relevance of the Palestinian refugee issue within the Madrid to Camp David peace processes. Talk about how the refugee question had been regarded throughout those different time periods.
2: Early attempts at resolving the Palestinian refugee question, notably by the UN Conciliation Commission for Palestine, centered initially on achieving return of the refugee, in line with UN Resolution 194, and when that turned out to be not feasible, on facilitating compensation of the refugees by documenting and valuating property left behind by the refugees. By the mid-1960s, the the UNCCP, as it was called, concluded it was unable to make further progress towards achieving a resolution of the refugee question, or the broader conflict, and effectively has been defunct since. Very little then happened for the next 30 years until the Madrid peace process was initiated, was initiated by the Madrid Conference in 1992, uh, resulting in the Oslo Accords uh, that, uh, that followed uh, in, the, in the subsequent years. Uh, the Oslo Accords identified the refugee issue as one of a number of so-called permanent status issues that would be resolved in later bilateral negotiations between Israel and the Palestinians. Even though the refugee issue is regional and even international in nature, it was still, you know, uh, defined by the Oslo process uh, as, a, as, a, as a bilateral issue. And as a result of this approach, the process got subjected to the asymmetry of power between Israel and the Palestinians resulting in a total lack of progress on the refugee issue. The main thing that Oslo produced were agreements that effectively relegated the Palestinians to self-rule in a number of bantustans in the West Bank and a blockade of Gaza, very similar to what happened under apartheid South Africa.
0: In the five areas where UNRWA is in operation, namely Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, the Gaza Strip, and the West Bank, including East Jerusalem, can you talk about what are the specific hardships faced by the Palestinian refugees in these areas?
1: The West Bank, uh, East Jerusalem, and and the Gaza Strip are under a very severe occupation. The former... Uh, so the West Bank uh, and East Jerusalem marked by an inescapable matrix of control implemented by Israel um, frequent abuses and violence at the end of settlers uh, which act with impunity and often excessive use of force by the uh, Israeli army against all Palestinians and speakably more and more against minors as young as 5, 6, 12 year old Um And Gaza, under a critical blockade, punctuated by frequent uh, military operations, and still uh, paying the uh, effect of uh, three wars suffered in less uh, than a decade. Of course, Syria remains trapped um, in a decade-long violent war, and Lebanon is in a dramatic downward economic and political spiral. Uh, so at this time of increased demand for AnRA services, the worsening financial conditions um, uh, suffered by the agency further impact its capacity to respond to the needs of the refugees, um, especially on protection. And so I have the feeling that the Palestinian refugees are very much left on their own, especially uh, in a region which is dominated by other dramatic crises like the one in Syria uh, and the one in, in in Yemen. That while they do not receive, of course, uh, enough uh, enough support so as to um, uh, lift the civilians there uh, from the effect the civilians there from the effect of the war, still distract very much the uh, the focus from the conditions of Palestinian refugees. The spread of the COVID nineteen disease has, uh, in fact, deteriorated and already dire. Humanitarian situation across most of UNRWA's areas of operation.
2: The coronavirus pandemic has affected the Palestinian refugees and, and UNRWA in multiple ways. The risk of infection has been particularly high in the 58 refugee camps in the region in view of the exceptionally high population density therein. And this has made both prevention and response all the more challenging. Uh, it was added to an already, you know, the responsibility to, uh, to prevent and, and respond to, to the pandemic was added uh, to an already overstretched primary health care system managed by, by the agency. The COVID pandemic has also further exposed Israel's discriminatory policies vis-à-vis the Palestinians, including the refugees, in excluding them from its vaccination drive. Uh, whilst Israel has already vaccinated more than half of its population, uh, it is currently reporting, reported to be providing surplus vaccines to countries ready to move their embassies to Jerusalem in a manifestation of what can only be termed political blackmail. In spite of its obligation as an occupying power, Israeli government has to date failed to vaccinate Palestinians in the OPT, and has even prevented the delivery of donated vaccines to the territory. Uh, the fact that uh, the Oslo agreements uh, provide or extend the Palestinian uh, authorities' limited uh, self-rule uh, to issues of, uh, of health, do not uh, free uh, Israel from its obligation as an occupying power as a minimum to provide access to the uh, to the uh, to vaccines and to all it takes to uh, carry out a, you know an effective vaccination program uh, to the uh, to the to the occupied territories and and as we have seen Israel has even uh, prevented delivery of uh, donated vaccines it, this, is, this is really uh, a flagrant violation of Israeli responsibilities. As also now the Biden administration, uh, apparently in a call that uh, Secretary Blinken made the other day to his, uh, to his counterpart, uh, conveyed to the, uh, to the Israeli government.
0: In, in Gaza specifically, the United Nations had previously warned that by 2020 the area was at risk of becoming uninhabitable. Israel argues that it withdrew from Gaza and that Gaza has complete autonomy to govern. However, I would like you to respond to this assertion. And despite the UN's dire warning, about 2 million people still live in Gaza. Talk about the conditions which Gazans currently experience.
1: Okay, look, even though different from the day-to-day instances of occupation and manifest annexation that take place in large part of the West Bank, particularly in East Jerusalem, uh, Israel's control in Gaza does not allow autonomous self-governing powers of Palestinian authorities or de facto authorities in Gaza. How is so? Despite the unilateral disengagement from Gaza declared by Israel in 2005 and the agreement of the same year between Israel and the Palestinians to improve freedom of movement and access uh, between the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, the Gaza Strip has remained under Israel's tight control. And according to the United Nations in Gaza, such control effectively qualifies as a continuation of the occupation and is also a collective punishment imposed on the entire population, which is uh, prohibited. Uh, under international law, Israel's control extend over Gaza's airspace and territorial sea. Israel's unilaterally declared borders, which by the way are not internationally recognized with the exceptions of the Gaza border with Egypt, and the no go zone or the buffer zone of riding uh, with Israel and forces inside Gaza along the green line, the separation line between um, uh, Gaza. Gaza and, uh, and Israel since 1949, where, frankly, Israel shoots without warning. Um, Israel also controls Gaza's customs and constructions, um, construction industry, most of which requires Israel's approval and the local um, monetary um, system. Uh, in Gaza to pay anything Palestinians use the Israeli shekel uh, even um, Israel maintained the Palestinian population registry, collects Palestinian taxes and decides who and what can access and leave Gaza, including any goods entering or exiting the strip, such as food items and medical supplies um, Israel even conduct uh, military operations and uh, targeted killings inside the strip, so this is just to Uh, give a sense of what the uh, space for uh, uh, autonomous, uh, self-governing space left to the Palestinians. Um, Since uh, 2007, all the more, Israel has launched three major military attacks on Gaza in 2008, in 2012 and in 2014 in connection, surely, with rockets fired into Israel by the armed wing of, uh, of Hamas and other Palestinian armed groups. Now, all this has left um, Gaza uh, uninhabitable, as has been denounced by the UN, but also by the World Bank. Levels of human deprivation and material devastations as a result of these actions and these policies continue to be very high. Uh, and this has compounded the tragic effects of the blockade and resulted in the uh, destruction of uh, livelihood, economic opportunities, and progressively it has eroded any possibility of human development uh, for the people in Gaza. Um, And uh, in my experience, from what I've seen, uh, this is uh, inexorably turning, if it has not happened already, Gaza into a ghetto of abysmal proportions.
0: It is widely regarded that Palestinian refugees are specifically excluded from the 1951 uh, Geneva Convention relating to the status of refugees, which established refugees' basic rights, such as employment, travel documents, and naturalization, among others, UNRWA's mandate was defined to, I quote, direct relief and works programs for the Palestinian refugees and not to advocate for their civil rights. By contrast, all other refugees come under the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, UNHCR, whose mandate is to safeguard the rights and well-being of refugees. As a result, Palestinians are deprived of 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 some of the protections afforded to other refugees, In your book, however, you discuss how Article 1D of the 1951 Refugee Convention is, I quote, central to the distinctive regime for Palestinian refugees. Uh, Please explain what is stipulated under Article 1D of the 1951 Convention and why it is so important as it pertains to protecting Palestinian refugees.
1: Um, The fact that it's widely regarded that Palestinian refugees are excluded from the 1951 convention is uh, not correct. And in fact, I think that it originates from a a misunderstanding of the historical sources as well as uh, the the letter of the 1951 um, convention. But let me start by saying that the protection gaps that Palestinian refugees experience are first and foremost most a function of the solution gap uh, they suffer, namely the protracted lack of durable solutions and the politicization of the Palestinian refugee question um, uh, at the end of Israel, as well as many other states where Palestinian refugees reside. The question you raised touches on a crucial point regarding the protection regime applicable to to Palestinian refugees, which needs some qualification. And let me start by saying that it's impossible to understand such regime uh, today embodied by UNRWA primarily without taking into account its origin, which are reflected in the drafting history of the Refugee Convention and Article 1 D itself, which you referred to. Uh, I will briefly explain. In 1949, well, when the drafting of the 1951 Refugee Convention was being finalized, the General Assembly, with Resolution 194 of 1948, had already decided how to resolve the conflict in Palestine. How so? By establishing uh, the UN Conciliation Commission for Palestine, uh, UNCCP, with the aim of negotiating a solution to the conflict over Palestine, including the refugee problem and a scheme for durable solutions for Palestinian refugees through, first and foremost, the return of those willing to live at peace with their Jewish neighbors and the provision of compensation for those choosing to settle elsewhere. And the UNCCP was to facilitate all this. What happened is that UNCCP struggled to facilitate peace between Israel and the Arab states. The refugees, on the other hand, were in urgent in, uh, need of relief and assistance, as Alexa said, so mechanisms to provide uh, their relief to them were created, and ANWA is the most lasting one. But bear in mind that ANWA's original functions also included support to UNCS. UNCCP's work toward political solutions, and this is how the alternative arrangements came into existence. Now, the Refugee Convention acknowledged this situation through Article 1D. I admit that this, the formulation of the article, is is obscure, but. It's sufficient to know that this is part of the definition of who is a refugee, and uh, Article One D excludes person assisted by UN assisted by UN agencies other than UNHCR, namely UNCCP and UNRWA, uh, from the benefits of the 1951 Convention, as long as these persons enjoy those agencies' protection and assistance. So because the alternative arrangements represented by ANRWA and UNCCP um, were already in place, they were just uh, taken into account and uh, acknowledged, recognized by the Refugee Convention, but they were meant to be temporary. And this is why the Refugee Convention envisaged that, should this special arrangement cease to exist before the solution of the Palestinian refugee question, the Convention itself would apply to the Palestinian. This is why I I, I uh, dispute the fact that the Convention excludes its application to the Palestinian refugees. What Article 1D envisaged for Palestinian refugees is what UNHCR defines continuity of protection between UNRWA and UNCCP on the one hand and UNHCR on the other. It was not an exclusion of the refu- these refugees from the enjoyment. Of the rights of refugees, but just a a provision that determined that such rights shall be taken care of by either UNCCP and ANWA or UNHCR until the question of Palestine is definitely settled. This is why we say that Article 1D is foundational to the status of Palestinian refugees. As refugees, 70 years ago, ad hoc solutions to refugee situations like ANWRWA and the UNCCP were the, the norm, not the exceptions to large refugee crises. And in fact, UNHCR and the Refugee Convention themselves were not the universal instruments that are today. They did, became so over time. What is abnormal in the case of Palestinian refugees is that Unlike other territorial partition generated refugee crises, they did not um, get a state on their own and they remained in a state uh, of limbo as stateless refugees without return, without resettlement and without justice.
0: In 2018, it was announced that President Trump will terminate funding to UNRWA completely. Prior to Trump having terminated funding to UNRWA, it was Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper who in 2010 had terminated funding to UNRWA, reportedly due to his belief that UNRWA has ties to Hamas. At the time, Harper, by terminating funding to UNRWA, had taken an even more extreme pro-Israeli position than that of the United States. Talk about in what ways UNRWA was affected in its ability to carry out its operations because of the United States' termination of funding, and how instrumental is Western funding in supporting the activities of the agency?
2: Well, with the exception of under a small complement of international staff, which are funded from the UN's regular budget, the agency's operations, in other words, its delivery of education, health, relief, and social services, microfinance, scam development and emergency services are financed by voluntary financial contributions, mostly by UN member states. The agency's near perpetual financial austerity is a direct result by the misfit between this funding model, voluntary contributions, and what the international community expects UNRWA to deliver as nation states know too well, the budget of a basic education system and a primary health care system has to grow as a function of inflation and population growth. And no voluntary funded system is able to keep up with this. Whilst Arab states have been increasingly contributing to the agency's budget, the bulk of unrest funding continues to be provided by Western states, who through the agency try to manage the human, the human dimension of the unresolved conflict instead of attempting to solve it. The withdrawal of US funding, roughly representing one third of the agency's budget, has been near catastrophic for the agency. As the bulk of the agency's funding goes to the salaries of educators and health workers, with education and primary healthcare representing basic human rights, the dramatic cut in funding nearly brought the agency's operations to a halt in 2018 and 2019 and forced the agency, for the first time in its history, to delay payment of the December 2020 salaries until the first contributions for this year were received. Even a resumption of U.S. funding by the new Biden administration will not be sufficient to repair the damage, as the financial crisis has dramatically affected both the quality and quantity of the agency service over the last couple of years. And it will take years of renewed, more generous financial funding to restore this. The Israeli
0: human rights group B'Tselem recently declared Israel to be an apartheid regime, not just inside the occupied territories, but also inside Israel's internationally recognized borders. The title of B'Tselem's report is, I quote, A regime of Jewish supremacy from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea. This is apartheid. What are your thoughts on the impact and significance that their report has had? And furthermore, your thoughts on whether it is justified to apply the concept of apartheid to Israel's actions within the occupied territories, as well as within Israel proper? Uh,
1: A B'Tselem report uh, has uh, indeed uh, produced much debate triggered a lot of discussions and surely is timely and welcome in the sense that it has uh, provoked uh, an interesting debate. But I would like to stress that this is not the first time that the regime enforced upon the Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territory or Israel itself uh, by Israel comes under scrutiny and is qualified as apartheid. Um, Palestinians, intellectual and activists have for decades tried to draw uh, attention to the system imposed on the Palestinians from From the Mediterranean to the Dead Sea as as apartheid, and the fact that um, while apartheid is commonly associated with a system of overt racial discrimination that existed in South Africa, uh, under international law, uh, the practices to qualify as apartheid didn't didn't need to identical to the South African model. In fact, apartheid is uh, is, uh, contrary to international law under the terms of uh, the 1973 uh, International Convention against uh, the crime of apartheid and uh, also uh, human rights law and uh, international criminal law. I would also like to draw your attention to the fact that already in 2007, the Special Rapporteur John Dugard concluded that some of the practices implemented by Israel and the OPT amounted to apartheid um, and in 2019 The Russell Tribunal on the Question of Palestine, which is not a judicial court proper but a public initiative led by renowned and highly respected public figures, concluded that Israel subjects the Palestinian people to an institutionalized regime of domination amounting to integrated apartheid as defined under international law. Um, And the, the, the tribunal explained that this discriminatory regime manifests Tests in varying, uh, varying intensity and forms against different categories of Palestinians depending on their location. And it's surely so uh, for the Palestinian living under military rule in the occupied Palestinian territory, which are um, clearly subject to an aggravated form of apartheid, but also the the tribunal concluded to Palestinian citizens of Israel, uh, which, um, unlike um, the Black uh, South Africans uh, uh, pre-end of uh, apartheid, are entitled to vote, but they are not part of the Jewish nation as defined by uh, Israeli law, and are therefore excluded from the benefits of Jewish nationality, and and also subject to systematic discrimination uh, across a broad spectrum of human rights, Um, and and sphere of life, including restriction of access to residency rights, land ownership, uh, access to various services, social, economic, and cultural rights, uh, urban planning, just to mention a few. So in conclusion, I think that uh, the uh, what Bethlehem did was just to um, raise another very important flag, uh, which is all the more all the more noticeable because it's waved by an Israeli, well respected Israeli human rights organization, um, and this, and it's leading to increasing denunciations, which in my view are timely for two reasons. Symbolically, it's important to draw attention of the large public especially uh, that which is still oblivious uh, about the regime that Israel imposes to the Palestinian uh, on the reality on the ground, and finally demand the more principled dynamics of engagement with, or even disengagement from, uh, uh, toward Israel. And, um, and also, this is uh, timely from an international standpoint, um, a, Given the fact that the ICC has uh, recognized its jurisdiction over the situation of Palestine, uh, it's worth recalling that the prohibition of apartheid is, in fact, contained also in, as I was mentioning, in the Rome Statute of the ICC and uh, the practice of apartheid is considered um, a serious breach of a number of international obligations, which might lead uh, to personal criminal liability in due course. Um, It's also worth recalling that um, persecution of organizations and persons
0: uh,
1: by depriving them of the fundamental rights and freedoms uh, because they oppose apartheid can itself constitute apartheid under international law.
0: The Taba summit is widely regarded as perhaps the closest instance that an agreement was almost reached between the Israelis and the Palestinians. However, at that time you had a government in Israel that at least gave the public impression that it was willing to negotiate on key issues required to reach a permanent settlement to the conflict. Presently, however, the center-left parties in Israel, such as the Labour Party, are a shell of its former self. And you have a population in Israel that strongly supports Benjamin Netanyahu and his far-right Likud party that has been expanding settlements, further jeopardizing any viable solution to the conflict. There is also disunity among the Palestinians with friction between the Palestinian Authority and the West Bank and Hamas in the, in, in the Gaza Strip. Furthermore, the United States has been unwilling to apply meaningful pressure on Israel to seriously negotiate a final settlement. In your book, you call for, uh, I quote, a, par- a fundamental paradigm shift in the approach to solutions for Palestinian refugees. Talk about what are the different elements of this paradigm shift and the form it could take.
2: Well, indeed. Our main premise in in our book is that after seven decades of unsuccessful attempts at resolving the refugee issue, a fundamental paradigm shift in the approach to solutions is needed. We argue, firstly, that the UN must reassume responsibility for the pursuit of solutions for Palestinian refugees, like it ultimately does for other refugee crises including large and protracted ones. Since Oslo, the Palestinian refugee issue has been dominated, and I made already reference to this, by the asymmetry of power between the parties, and even before then, political expediency has prevailed over the interests of the refugees. This situation must simply end. And As an extension of this, and this is the second element of our proposed paradigm shift, like with all other refugee situations, international law must be the framework and lighthouse for resolving the various aspects of the Palestinian refugee question, the issue of refugee status as well as moral, material, individual and collective justice. The third element of our proposed paradigm shift is an extension of this and addresses the long-held belief that pursuing solutions for Palestinian refugees more holistically would undermine Palestinians' rights and claims towards Israel, and as such jeopardize the Palestinian cause. We make it abundantly clear in the book that this is not the case at all. For Palestinian refugees, the rights to return, restitution, and compensation flow from the historic injustice accompanying the birth of the refugee issue, and these have only become stronger with the passing of time and the further advancement of international law. Palestinian refugees should therefore not fear pursuing solutions more closely aligned with the global international refugee regime, as many individual Palestinian refugees have done over the years, and others demand. We argue in the book that in 2016 New York Declaration on Refugees and migrants, provides a unique opportunity to realize this paradigm shift. The declaration, unanimously adopted by the UN General Assembly in 2016, in response to the largest refugee crisis since the Second World War, provides a powerful political reaffirmation of the international refugee regime that was put in place after the Second World War. Francesca has already referred to that including the centrality of international law in protecting the human rights and fundamental freedoms of refugees, and the approach in promoting durable solutions for refugee situations. The declaration underscores the importance of a systematic and comprehensive response in addressing refugee questions. It calls, amongst other things, for the development of a comprehensive refugee response framework for each large-scale refugee situation, including protracted ones. These comprehensive refugee response frameworks are to be developed through a multi-stakeholder approach, with a key role for national and local authorities, international organizations, international financial institutions, civil society, and last but not least, refugees themselves. It also calls for addressing all aspects of a refugee response, including root causes, ending refugee status and statelessness through a combination of durable solutions and humanitarian assistance. New York Declaration applies to all refugees, including Palestinian refugees, as appears from a number of references therein to UNRWA. In spite of this, to date, no such framework has been developed for Palestinian refugees. And we suggest that this lacuna be addressed at the earliest possible opportunity with UNRWA and UNHCR and the Palestinian leadership working to facilitate the process together, each with respect to the Palestinian refugees for which it is responsible.
0: What are the steps that Western nations, such as Canada, uh, should take in shifting the paradigm as it pertains to the Palestinian refugee issue?
2: The near perpetual financial crisis of UNRWA should make Western and other nations, including Canada, realize that managing the humanitarian dimension of the unresolved Israeli-Palestinian conflict alone is no longer working, and that the lacuna that has resulted following the demise of the UNCCP and the collapse of the Middle East peace process needs to be urgently addressed. We should remember that in the aftermath of the Second World War it was the international community support for the Zionist colonial enterprise, at a time colonization elsewhere in the world was being ended, that remains at the heart of the unresolved conflict. Whatever good reasons there may have been to support the creation of Israel, it did go at the expense of the indigenous population of Palestine and this historic injustice still remains to be remedied. As much as as we would all wish the problem to disappear after more than seven decades, the refugee question represents a continued responsibility on the international community. And once again, continued support to UNRWA alone does not bring about a resolution of 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 the refugee question. It is for these reasons that we call upon all relevant stakeholders, not just Western and host states, but also the UN and the PLO and the refugees themselves, to consider ourselves our, our call for a paradigm shift and the ways we suggest for achieving it. As it pertains to the broader question of
0: Palestine, talk about the need to dismantle the settler colonial paradigm and how international law today could be helpful to undo that.
1: Starting from the situation in the occupied Palestinian territory, I believe that one way or another one cannot maintain a system of segregation constituted of colonial military rule over uh, one uh, one people, uh, maintaining uh, their rights uh, in abeyance and perpetuity. Um, the situation, um, the human rights situation in um, in the occupied Palestinian territory. Um, and beyond as Beth Salem uh, report denounces is in breach of uh, many obligations of, um, of uh, human rights, international human rights law, humanitarian law, and probably other frameworks. and uh, uh, I would point uh, to the breach uh, first and foremost of the right of any people to enjoy self-determination. International law is crystal clear about about that. but what we face, uh, the persistent and tolerated impunity of Israel in this respect is a problem which is rooted into politics and into uh, how international law is eventually kept captive by it. I uh, do believe in international law and uh, legal activism, and I trust that justice, with time, will prevail. But for this, it is necessary that international law and legal activism are really uh, used in a smart, intelligent fashion to undo the political dynamics that have uh, have dominated till present day.
0: what is it that our listeners can expect to learn or discover upon having read your book?
1: Um, our book, as uh, its title says, uh, it's, uh, it's about the question of Palestinian refugees, which is one of the thorniest questions uh, within the, the overall question of Palestine. Um, the book offers an updated analysis of this question as a whole, looking holistically uh, at it uh, from an historical, legal and political perspective. Uh, It is a second edition, um, but it's also, um, as Lex and I often say, um, a new book on the foundation of the first edition, enriched with new archival doctrinal, uh, doctrinal and field research, an extensive survey of Palestinian refugees and their experience. Um, in terms of status and legal treatment uh, across the fragmentation of the exile and uh, uh, in over 60 countries where they ended up leaving. We have surveyed national and regional practices, jurisprudence and case law, and we offer a holistic approach to international law, trying to think out of the box focusing on the specific challenges uh, that Palestinian refugees, um, wherever they are, face and the ways to overcome them. And as Lex was mentioning, with the reference to the comprehensive framework for solution of Palestinian refugees, um, we uh, we try to think uh, to international law in terms of opportunities that remained untapped. So eventually, What the book um, offers is a comprehensive overview of the the question under international law, from its origins and evolutions to the very uh, present-day reality that Palestinian refugees experience uh, in occupied Palestine and beyond, everywhere they have uh, have, um, uh, ended up living, and what the special arrangements that the UN put in place for them mean. Uh, As I said, our prism is the one of international law. We have no illusion that international law per se cannot provide an easy way out to the current impasse in the Israeli-Palestinian situation. But we do point to it as a way to challenge uh, the current state of affairs and establish a principled order at uh, at various levels and uh, ultimately um, uh, it proved that in while international law is not a solution per se, eh, it should should lead to um, more principled actions in a question where justice has been itself uh, for too long in exile.
0: Thank you so much Lex and Francesca for uh, speaking with uh, Global Conversations. You're welcome.